Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Culture Ops Podcast. One of the themes that has emerged from talking to leaders in the culture space over the last two years is that authenticity as a leader has become almost unavoidable. Those that didn't lean into it have suffered and found it challenging to retain staff and attract the right people to their organizations. Rolling that forward into culture, inauthentic cultures have been exposed for what they truly are, all talk and no action. Today's talent won't stand for cultures that pretend to be one thing and act the opposite. To help me unpack why authentic cultures fail, I'm joined by someone who seems to have a real passion and excitement for that very topic. Someone that has seen firsthand what it takes to scale a culture during hypergrowth and is a real advocate for culture as a tool in business. I'd like to welcome to the show Camilla Boyer, Head of Internal Communications and Culture at Hoppin. Hello, Camilla. How are you? Hi, I'm very well, thanks. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to have Hoppin uh, on the show. One of uh, I don't know, tech's real darling children of the last um, uh, last <laughs> couple of uh, couple of years. Before we talk about Hoppin, let's talk about you. Um, how did you end up um, doing what you're doing today? Um, let's let's rewind a little bit. What's the journey that you've taken uh, to to getting into the culture space? Yeah, sure. So um, the headline that I sort of give people is I am a storyteller and I've done that in a few different ways over the course of my career. And I really think storytelling in a lot of ways is an essential part of culture building. So let me try to bring that full circle for you. Um, So I started out in internal communications at Twitter, working in Silicon Valley, um, and I loved it. And that was kind of my first taste of, of that world. Um, then I went off to work in marketing, specifically product marketing, which is all about how you tell stories about the products that you're building and why they matter. Um, and then I've also worked as an executive communication coach, helping executives at companies like Salesforce and Google and GlaxoSmithKline, uh, tell stories about all the different things that are going on within their organizations in a hopefully motivational and inspiring way. So that could be anything from product changes, product launches, opening new markets, or less less uh, uplifting things like reorgs and things like that. So um, I came back around to working in culture building and internal communications here at Hopin. And it really is kind of tying all of those elements of my experience together under the umbrella of storytelling. Love it. And um, uh, like Hopin probably needs no introduction, but let's give it one anyway. And when you're doing that, why don't you also... Um, I'd love to understand a bit about the sort of the people and culture landscape at Hopin. Um, I'm sure it's relatively large. Um, uh, So yeah, we'd just love to understand how that sort of fits together. Yeah, definitely. So um, Hopin is an all-in-one event management solution. We started out as a virtual events platform, and that is still our product that we are probably the most well-known for, although we do now help create events across the hybrid and physical spaces as well. Um, We are about a thousand people 
Um, and just to give you a little bit of context, I joined in January 2021, about 11 months ago, and we were 250 people. Um, so we have grown like 300x in, in my 11 months. Um, and those people are spread across 48 different countries, um, which is pretty crazy. We are fully remote, so we don't have any offices anywhere. And we don't even have really a majority of people in any one single country. We're pretty evenly split across um, EMEA and and the Americas. And we have a, a pretty um, prevalent population in APAC as well. So that's a little bit about, about what we look like. <laughs> and um, who are the people that you're interacting with on a daily basis when it comes to culture? You know, what is the, what is the landscape of scaling culture from 200 to, to 1,000 people um, look like? Yeah, so I think a key element of being successful in my role is to be well-networked across the company and at both the executive level and the at, at any level, basically. I think it's important to have a network across the whole company so that you can understand how your culture is being created and is evolving in the different corners of the organization. So uh, my key stakeholders, um, I work really closely with our CEO in the internal comms front. I do a lot of his communication and putting that sort of thing together and helping him create motivational messages internally. Um, I also spend time with our people team. I think there's big parts of uh, the people organization and HR that are also critical parts of culture. So understanding what behaviors we're rewarding and how we're evaluating people. So I work closely with them on that. And then I just have a, a network of people who I try to keep in touch with across every branch of the organization and every level of seniority to, to keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on. Very cool. And just like super exciting as well. I, I, I love that, you know, I think Clearly, when you're when you're working in the event space, bringing people together, you know, thinking about the emotions and the interactions of, of human beings, like culture has always felt like it's been pretty embedded in the Hopin journey and the Hopin story. Um, I remember yeah. it must have been maybe two or three years ago. I think it might have been even pre-COVID or after one of the first lockdowns. Um, I was running a seed camp uh, event on 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 people and they had loads of people across the portfolio and Hopin um uh were there testing one of their very early versions um of of the software and the product and like it's just yeah very cool to to see what an, an awesome journey you guys have been on while also prioritizing and thinking really deeply about your culture yeah one so one thing I'll add there is I do think when you've experienced the pace of growth that we have as you as you mentioned uh you can't have your culture be an afterthought. And that's one thing that attracted me to Hopin when I was looking for uh, a new job in this space is the fact that they were being very deliberate about they, how they were creating their culture. And so I sit on a team called the Vibe Team, which is eight people. And our job is to basically be shepherds of the culture within Hopin. And I think it's rare that you find companies that are that deliberate about building culture. But the fact that we've grown so fast and the fact that we're a fully remote environment, it feels imperative to me. And also, like, is there is there a cooler name for a team? I'm not sure. <laughs> Vibe is like one of the words that I use that people 
really uh, make fun of before at work. So I just I feel really good that you guys have a team that's called the Vibe Team. It makes me feel uh, it makes me feel heard and seen and listened to um, in, in all the good ways. <laughs> so glad to give you that validation. And 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 I think it is. You know, we're trying to make substance out of a famously insubstantive word. So yeah. <laughs> Very true. Uh, let's dive um, off the diving board and and get into some more meaty um, conversations. Um, you know, I said up at the top that you're, I guess, an advocate for authentic cultures. You think quite deeply about it. It's something you've written on. Um, why do you think inauthentic cultures fail? I think inauthentic cultures fail because people are too smart basically and when cultures try to be in like when they try to be something that they're not it, you're not giving your people the credit that they deserve for the intelligence that they have and the fact that they are going to be able to see through that and what that does is it breeds an environment of distrust and um, that basically undermines everything that you're trying to do within the company. So I think creating an authentic culture is not only critical to creating a uh, an environment that's actually going to work and support your company in um, the the growth that it's pursuing. But I also think it's just about respect. It's about respecting the people who work for you enough to tell them the truth. And um, what is it about Hopkins culture that makes it uh, authentic? I'm making an assumption there. I don't. I can't imagine that you're going to turn around to, and say to me that it's super inauthentic. So um, I'm slightly leading the witness. But yeah, w- w- what's your belief around that? Yeah. Um, Look, I think, by the way, no culture in my experience is perfectly authentic. Um, I think it's something that everybody should be striving to do to the best of their ability. And my job, in part, is to hold the powers that be at Hopin accountable to that. Um, And so to do that, I basically try to have really honest conversations about with our leaders about what's hard and what's going well and try to figure out how to tell that to people in a way that is going to make them trust us and believe us. Um, and so there's things that we do, uh, along those lines. So one thing is giving people frequent access to executives to break down those barriers of seniority that sometimes can create silos and can create distrust within an organization. So whether that's through Q and A's, or we're thinking about doing sort of lunch and learns with our executives and things like that as well, um, or Slack channels where they can kind of interact with them a little bit more often. So I think that's one part of it. And the other part of it is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable in that you have to be able to be honest about what's going not well, as well as what is going well and normalizing learning together and making mistakes and having that be okay. As long as it's a point of conversation that everybody gets to kind of grow from together. Um, and that makes the culture more authentic in my opinion as well. I, I know I loved, I love that soundbite uh, at the beginning of where you were talking about, you know, the reason why inauthentic cultures fail, which is that, you know, humans are too smart. Uh, and I think, I think, I think that needs some un- unpacking in the sense that I, I think it's about emotional intelligence, you know, like it's, it's, um, as humans, we have a, we have a great sense of being able to work out if someone is being truthful, real, honest, open with us. I'm not sure I can necessarily put a finger on how we're able to do that. And obviously some people are able to do it better than others, but that's definitely part of the human, human, human condition. You know, it's, it's probably something to do with like 
safety and and being able to determine what relationships are safe and good for us and and, and which aren't mm-hmm. we yeah. apply that in all aspects of our personal life yet sometimes you know there's this thinking that we're in the workplace we can kind of get away with it maybe more than we would do if we were with our friends or with our family I think that's 100% true. And the example that pops to mind without going down the political track on this podcast is just politics as a whole, right? Is politicians have a bad reputation because people don't trust them. They, you know, they're afraid that these people who are supposed to be leading them are inauthentic. And it's kind of become like a worldwide joke now, you know, when you say somebody's being political or whatever it is, that's what you mean. And to your point, Somehow for a long time, we've thought that business people can get away with it. Business people are exempt from this. But what we forget is that it's the same people who are listening and receiving these messages, whether they are your employees or they're individuals just living their lives in the world or they're people going to polling stations, right? They have the same level of human capacity to see through BS or whatever it is that you want to call it. Um, and, And that's basically what we're saying here is like give people the credit that they deserve and also respect them enough to tell them the truth respect you know Uh, um i often uh, talk about how i think we've gotten the the tension between employer and employee wrong how for so many years the way it's been constructed is that the employee should feel grateful that the employer is 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 giving them a job um, and I've just never believed in that. I nev- I've never believed in it because I think the most valuable asset any of us have is our time. You know, money can come and go, but like w- the minute we just spent talking, you and I are never getting that back, which might found like, sound like a very profound and like depressing thing to say. But actually, I think if you turn it on its head and, and use it to think about, well, how am I going to spend my time? Um, you know, what are the things that I want to be doing with it? And as an employer, I take that really seriously. If some, if someone says, I want to come and spend time working for you, you know, Monday to Friday on some, you know, def- different concoction of hours, depending on who you are, I need to really respect that. Yeah. Um, no, I 100% agree with that. And I think you can almost, you know, so what we're saying is that has been the status quo, right? So where there is a status quo, there is an opportunity for a competitive advantage. And that's, I think, what we're seeing here and what the tech industry has figured out a little sooner than some traditional industries is if you flip that on your head and you say that me as an employer, I have a responsibility to attract and retain the best talent. I have a responsibility to give people a reason to show up to work every day and to love being here then that gives you a competitive advantage over the other companies that might be trying to employ those same people because those people are going to look around and say, oh, this company values my time. This company respects me as an individual. This company is trying to give me a place to show up to work every day where I can be myself and you know feel authentic. And suddenly you're beating out the competition for the best talent in the market. Yeah. I mean, my my next question was going to be, how does, you know, authenticity um, affect performance? And, you know, right there, there's just such a great example, which is that, you know, we are in a knowledge economy. We're in a talent economy where, you know, I do believe the organizations with the best people win at the end of the day. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a huge performance advantage of being able to attract the, the best people because people can see you being authentic. Um are, are there any other performance impacts that 
authenticity uh, uh, provides or creates? Yeah. So I think we've talked a little bit there about attracting the best talent, but we also have to remember that turnover is really expensive. So if you attract the best talent and then you don't retain them very well, then you're basically wasting your own time and money because you have to go back to the drawing board and fill that slot. So I think the other thing that's great about authenticity is when those people come in, they feel like they are trusted to do their best work. They feel like they trust the company has their best interest at heart. And they're more likely to stick around for longer and not just stick around, but actually do better work. Um, There's something I think about a lot, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Um, Extrinsic motivation is giving people pay raises and sending them swag and, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas intrinsic motivation is how do you connect with people as people and on that level, inspire them to do their best work and continue showing up every day. And that's what, to me, authenticity and authentic cultures do, is they give people that level of intrinsic motivation that makes them want to get up out of bed every morning and do their best work. And they're not motivated by something as transient as money. Although, obviously, that's important to everyone. So you got to strike the right balance. Yeah, I, 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 fully, I fully agree on the, on, the, on the balance there. And I think people should see them as as levers that they can sort of toggle, right? Depending on... Exactly. It's about creating the right mix. It isn't about, you know, pull one down and you're done. And, you know, yeah, I love talking to people on the show. I mean, whether or not anyone listens to it is kind of, um, you know, completely completely not the point because I get to geek out with someone about, about culture for 40 minutes. And the way that I'm hearing you explain how you feel your role sits within the organization is as a a constant process of crafting and molding this thing. It isn't something that you do once and then you put away in a drawer and say, yeah, our culture's great, sorted. It's a daily thing. It's a minute by minute and hour by hour experience. Yeah, exactly. And I think culture creation is a little bit like whack-a-mole in some ways where, you know, you think that you've figured out one area and maybe you have but then a company is an ever-evolving thing, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> especially a company like Hopin, where we have grown so quickly. Um, we look like a completely different organization than we did a year ago, and we face completely different cultural challenges than we did a year ago. And I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that we're doing everything perfectly and we don't have any challenges. That's not true. And, you know, that's my job is to try to see those challenges and get ahead of them in, in terms of where we're going as a company and how we're evolving as, as an organism, um, because there's always more to do. Let's talk about that, the pace that you're hiring at. If you're hiring at that pace, do you think that you have the time and space in your hiring process to truly be authentic? How do you, how do you manage that? Because authenticity is something that has to be sort of, I think, created over a period of time. Um, you know, what is, what do your hiring processes look like across the organization? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, we have hired very quickly over the last year or so, and I've worked with our recruiting teams to make sure that we are building our values into our hiring processes. And we agree as an organization that hiring for values fit is much more important than hiring for a culture fit. Um, And that's a distinction that I think some companies make. I'm sure we're not the first. But what it basically means is 
that we are not hiring for that ephemeral feeling of, oh, I just get on with this person and I think it would be easy to work with them. I think that's what people mean when they say culture fit. Um, And values fit is more, we're looking for people who are different to us. We really value diversity and diversity of thought. So we want people who have different experiences and think differently to us, but we want them to have the same values as us. Um, And so we try to build our values into the evaluation stages of our hiring processes. So that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is training for interview interviewers from Hopin um, and making sure that they are trained up in how to answer questions authentically and that they are giving their interviewees the opportunity to ask those questions as well, uh, creating that psychological safety within the confines of an interview where somebody feels comfortable to ask the hard questions and feels like they're going to get an honest answer. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I can imagine how that plays out is you know, and I, I have this a lot in, in, in interviews I'm a part of, people saying, you know, what's your strategy with this or what's your plan with why? And a lot of the time they're asking me a question that I don't know the answer to. And I think in those scenarios, one of the, it's one of the easiest, it's one of the simplest, but also the most hard sort of routes to authenticity is just being like, I actually don't know. I haven't worked that one out yet. Yeah. Um, and I think leaders sometimes struggle with that, but actually... Um, it, it, you know, it, I don't think people expect everyone to have all the answers and just maybe leaning into that a bit more can get you a very long way. Definitely. I think it takes courage and security in yourself and your position to admit that you don't know something at any level, whether you're it's an interviewer or interviewee dynamic or you're a CEO or whatever it is. But I think that that's something that humans really respect is that is when somebody exhibits the vulnerability to say, I don't know, or yeah, that is a problem for us and just have that open conversation. So you were talking about hiring for values. I think you're, you're spot on. Um, uh, and, and I think more organizations are are moving in that way. And I look back at points in my career and really cringe about some of the sort of hiring tropes and things I used to say, um, uh, which I'm sort of not, not going to repeat. Well, no, I can repeat, repeat <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I definitely... In the early parts of my career, eight, 10 years ago, was hiring for people that I'd be happy to go for a coffee with. And that's just such an awful way, such an awful way to build like a a different and diverse team. Hence, we didn't really build a different and diverse team. And Mm. eight years on, you know, I I I hope, I would like to say I've grown as a, as a, as, as someone that is able to hire and, and, and look for, you know, values fit, values add. How do you distinction between values and behaviors or have you distinct distinguished between values and behaviors because i think one of the challenges that i see sometimes with values is they can be a little bit uh ephemeral like um you know uh like i don't know integrity um what does that actually look like how do i how do i act that day to day Mm -hmm. um yeah have have you all at hopin done any work on that yeah definitely i completely agree with you and that's one of my big pet peeves around uh, values. And so I think basically the problem with a lot of values out there is that they are too aspirational. Uh, Companies write them and they say, this is what we want our company to be like. So we're going to make these our values and we're going to tell people that they should try to strive for this every day. Where I always say your values should embody your company on its best day. The same way that you think about yourself as an individual, we all have our ups and downs, but what are you like on your best day? 
And generally, if we put it in mathematical terms, that means your value should be 80% real and 20% aspirational, where I think most of the values out there skew, you know, the majority aspirational. Um, And the other thing is, I think it's really important to have your values phrased in a directive way such that they sort of inspire behavior so that they're action oriented, basically. So all of our values at Hopin are written with a verb at the start, basically, is prioritize impact, lead with empathy, that sort of thing, in a way that you are telling people how to act. And so the behavior spins out directly from the value, rather than giving them something vague, like integrity, and saying, okay, well, you interpret what that means, you decide how to bring that to life, and what behavior kind of spins out from that. I think closing that mental leap that have to people have to make between the value itself and the behavior that you're hoping it inspires, you know, let's just spoon feed them. Yeah, 100%. Um, so we've talked about performance, there's, there's, there's an impact, we've talked about uh, uh, attraction and ability to sort of show people during the interview process, hey, this is a place where you can come and, you know, we're not always going to have all the answers, but we're going to, we're going to tell you what we think on a situation. We're going to be honest with you. We're going to be transparent as much as we can be. Um, and, and we talked about the cost of retention and how that's probably ignored um, far too much. And it, uh, in, you know, tech ecosystem in the business ecosystem, just how expensive it is to replace sure. the people and knowledge that walk out of your organization. And that, uh, the feeling of being part of something and feeling heard and feeling like you have honest and open and authentic relationships with people really helps um, to keep people in the room. What is stopping business owners, CEOs, founders, managing directors from being more authentic? What stops leaders from being more authentic? I think it's scary. I think being authentic is a scary thing, especially in older school parts of the business world. And the reason for that is because with authenticity comes the requirement to be able to admit your failures and admit your imperfections and hold those up in front of your company for their examination and their critique. And that puts you as a leader and as a culture in a fairly vulnerable position. And that's not a feeling that people are comfortable with because as a long for a long time, as a society, as an ecosystem, as an economy, we've been taught that vulnerability is a bad thing. Um, and I think that's basically what people struggle with. This might be a, a popular, might be an unpopular question. I often think about what are traditionally, and I use I use the word. I guess, to signify how these behaviours have traditionally played out. It's not to say that this is always how they play out, but what I would categorise as male leadership characteristics mm-hmm. and what I would characterise as more feminine or female uh, leadership characteristics. And I often find that it's those, uh, and, and you know, bearing in mind that, that we can all exhibit a, uh, a, a combination of those characteristics, but I often find it's those slightly male traditionally male um leadership characteristics that steer away from vulnerability and steer much more towards um you know boris johnson's doing it right now just like standing up on the podium and denying that there was a christmas party right it's like i'd rather lie through my teeth than uh than be seen to be wrong and have gotten something wrong do you think that's a fair characterization and 
do you think that's changing is I guess what I want to ask. Yeah, I 100% think it's a fair characterization. There's so many directions that we could take this conversation in, but um, I, I basically think that uh, men specifically and business people of both genders, but um, but sort of tending more on the on the male side often because that they're you know unfortunately still the upper echelons of business generally are dominated by men have been taught that that is an appropriate means of behavior as an individual and as business people. It's not, not just appropriate, but actually the, the way to, to succeed is, is through those behaviors. Um, I hope it is changing. I think as a society, we're changing. We're set up now more that women can participate in the workforce for longer than they could before because uh, I mean, so many different things. We, we won't go down that road, but I think the face of business is changing. Um, and with that, the, the behaviors that we see in business are changing. And to your point, this is not a cut and dry male, female thing. Any individual can exhibit any of these behaviors. But I do think this goes back to the main point of diversity. It's not just a gender thing. It's also um, a race thing and uh, an experiences thing and a diversity of thought thing. And I think the more diversity we can bring into any given room, the more opportunity we give people to be held accountable for the ways that they're thinking and expressing themselves. Because if we just surround ourselves with people who are like us, they let us get away with things, you know? And and a big part of what authenticity is about is giving people safe spaces to call out things that they're seeing and know that they're not going to be reprimanded and know that they're actually going to be rewarded when they find things that are mistakes or that could be done better or are opportunities to learn. And those are behaviors that are not encouraged in more old school business environments, but those are actually how we make the most progress is by carving out the space to learn from what we've, what we've done in the past. Wow. Camilla and I are realizing very quickly that, um, uh, we could have multiple offshoot podcasts and conversations um, after the back of this. Um, uh, but we'll save those for another day. Um, as ever, I want to try and be tactical and operational to kind of wrap and start to close things up. Um, if I'm listening to this and thinking, okay, I, I, I buy that and I can see, have an awareness that maybe we aren't as an organization as authentic as we'd like to be. What are some examples of you know, and I talk in those three, those three camps that I think, uh, and that we talk about a lot that contribute to culture, the people that you hire, and we've talked a bit about that, the policies, these are the do's and don'ts of your organization, they might be written, they might be unwritten, and then processes, ways that you work. And you gave some examples of those up at the top of the show. Um, but what are the what are the easy, the tactical things that people could take away and, uh, and, and implement today and tomorrow? Yeah, definitely. So one thing I think that's really important to think about is what your reward structures are, um, how you're setting those up within your organization. Are you just rewarding your top performers or are you looking at the people who are most living and embodying your values? Are you rewarding people who are challenging and speaking up in meetings and having dissenting opinions? How are you actually setting up your reward structures to make sure that you are encouraging that authentic behavior. So thinking about, okay, what behaviors do we want people to exhibit in terms of authenticity? What does that mean to us? And how can we make sure 
that we are promoting those people, financially rewarding those people and holding them up as an example for other people to strive to. So I think that's one thing. Another thing is if you're listening to this and you are in an internal comms role or equivalent, having those conversations with your leaders, making sure that you as an individual are building trusting relationships with your leaders such that you can have those honest conversations and go to them and say, hey, tell me the truth about what's going on here. And tell me why you are or are not comfortable talking about this within the organization. And by the way, I'm not saying that we need to tell everyone at the company everything all the time. Sometimes there are reasons that things need, they might still be works in progress or there might actually be damaging to the company in some way, you know, but being able to have, treat your position as in internal communications, as being the go-between to help people figure out what should we be saying and how can we hold ourselves accountable for being authentic. And I think, you know, as people in internal comms, that's our responsibility. Um, So yeah, those are two key things I'd look at. Amazing. So remuneration, reward, are you rewarding the right behaviors in your organization? How are you doing that? Um, is it is it enabling people to be, be more authentic? And then if, you're, if your role involves communication across the organization, do you have the right relationships to enable you to do that well? Um, yeah. And I imagine you've spent a ton of time um, uh, working with the leaders at Hopin and doing that. I have. Yeah, I have. And I I do try to continue to do that. I just think you can't be an advocate for authenticity and you can't be a a conduit for for those behaviors if you don't have the relationships where people feel comfortable being honest with you because they have to be honest with you on an individual level far before they're ready to be honest with with the whole company. So, so true. Um, I have really, really enjoyed our conversation today, Camilla. And any final words uh, for uh, for listeners? Yeah, I think I would just say, um, I'm so, first of all, so happy that we're having these conversations. I think this is a competitive advantage for businesses out there. And if you have the power to influence this in any way within your organization, start small, have the conversation with your manager, say, hey, I listened to this thing or I read this thing or whatever it is, because the more people ask for it, the more people are demanding it, whether or not your role is in culture building and internal communications, the more we can kind of catalyze that change. 100%. And if you want to hear more of uh, Camilla's thoughts, um, uh, give her a Google. She's got a, web- she's got a great website. Um, there's some great writing up there, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the usual places. Um, if they want to follow along with your thinking and your journey uh, with the culture that you're building and crafting at Hopin. Um, Camilla, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you had a good time also. Yeah, it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Very thought-provoking and very grateful that you had me on. Amazing. And as ever, I need to thank Mel, our producer behind the virtual glass, keeping the show on the road. To all of you listening along, wherever you are, we really, really appreciate you. And if you've enjoyed today's episode and are feeling generous um, in that Christmas spirit, um, please do head to Apple Podcasts and uh, leave us a review. It helps people find us um, and we're always looking for for new listeners. We look forward to seeing you again soon. I've been Ben Branson-Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast.